I'm going to edge the Cowboys. stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl week two is in the books and in a miraculous turn of events the miami dolphins are number one in the afc so hey we got connor here we've got ronan hello and we've got sean hello hey so how are we getting on lads how's all down in cork boring enough now the queen's death kind of made sure most of the good soccer has been off for the past two weeks every time i turn on a news channel it's been wall-to-wall coverage but thankfully that's over now the whole queen thing after a certain point of the reverence just really went full on. Like, it's like, do you people realize you're living in the 21st century and not the 14th century? Oh, yeah. Like, no disrespect to any of our British listeners. You were all morons in part of a weird, like, freak death cult with this old lady. Prompted the gravest of insults, which is that the Sky Sports Red Zone was interrupted for a minute, for a yeah. minute silence for the Queen. A minute silence for the Queen when I'm trying to watch... That that's an advertisement. I don't. I watch Red Zone for seven hours of commercial free football. I don't need a commercial for imperialism in the middle of my Red Zone. Fair enough. Yeah, nothing too too wild or crazy up here. Obviously, watching the football was was able to play two games with the with the Dublin City Wolves. So that was good fun. Uh, we won one. We lost one. Good crack. Fortunately, going to miss the games this weekend as I'm heading back up to to Donegal. But we'll get to that later. But best of luck to them down in. I think it's Waterford they're playing in this Saturday upcoming. The, nothing nothing else too, too wild or strange up this end. I suppose we should probably bounce straight into some bits of the news. So we'll kick off with crime and punishment. What are they doing? Probably felonies. Tampa Bay wide receiver Mike Evans is suspended for one game after causing an altercation during the Tampa Bay New Orleans Week 2 game. The altercation in question is he went out and started a ginormous fist fight that then involved multiple members from either team launching in and getting into a fight. Am I right in thinking that he has some form in this as well? That this is not the first time he's gotten into a scrap? No, he, he's literally been suspended I was thinking. Marsh. I was thinking that was it, and the it was the same guy, guy. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His excuse is like, that's Tom Brady, man. What do you expect me to do? And like, you could argue it was really Tom Brady who caused the fight rather than him. But it depends, it depends on your interpretation of the sequence of events that led to the inciting incident that Mike Evans was involved with that obviously he's suspended for now. He is appealing, by the way. He might get away with it. Obviously very rare in the NFL to get a suspension for an in-game type of thing. But this probably was about the threshold given his history. I was thinking he'd done that beforehand. It used to always be, um, used to be always Crabtree, wasn't it? Crabtree and your man. Uh, keep to leave. Yeah, keep to leave, and, and, and him used to always have the scraps. That was always good fun. The other bit of crime and punishment is uh, Kansas City linebacker Willie Gay has been suspended four games under the personal conduct policy. This comes from, okay, so on paper, this comes from like a, a, a misdemeanor property damage thing where he broke a $250 vacuum cleaner. Context of that appears to be that it was involved in some altercation with partner or an ex-partner. So while the headline of the charge that he's faced with or whatever is property damage, I'd imagine given that this is a four-game suspension and he doesn't have priors in this that it is that they investigated and found that there was some kind of domestic abuse stuff or something more serious than is in the police report because like there's a lot of people moaning online about this and this is my team and I obviously much prefer to have Woody Gay playing but there's no way even the NFL goes damaged vacuum cleaner equals four game suspension there is definitely more to it that we just don't know about I mean, who understands the NFL's policy with regards to suspensions? I mean, it could it could be what you're saying. It could be not what you're saying. I mean, they have very weird precedents and these years and years of putting very strange punishments on people mean that there probably is some some line in some document somewhere that says that this thing is a four-game suspension. Um, so it could e- equally go either way. I mean, yeah. there's just no consistency with the NFL. There's so little transparency as well. It gets very frustrating after a while. 
not having some sort of consistent penalty. You can't you can't really tell what happened in these kind of situations. He's obviously been playing quite well for the Chiefs, so it'll be a knock for them. He's out for four games, which also means he's going to be out for what I think is currently the largest game upcoming on the schedule, week six against the Bills. We'll look into some trade signings and cuts. Poor Sean's heart was broken. He was weeping into every one of our group chats when Indianapolis cut kicker Rodrigo Blankenship and elevated Chase McLaughlin from their practice squad. He's such a cool guy. He made it. He was a little guy who made it and he was every time he went out there and missed 40 yard field goals he was like yeah that's what an ordinary person would do if they were on the <laughs> NFL field he was also not only on one of my fantasy teams he was the name around which I built my fantasy team names and the fact that Mike Evans in two fancy teams and he's been suspended as well my season's just falling apart now I, finally <laughs> got, I, I mean I, I don't know if someone's going to pick up Blankenship again I mean it kind of feels like He's not going to get a second chance. Um, his form kind of dropped off a cliff there at the end. When you look how the Colts are doing, I don't think you can put that squarely on the kicker. <laughs> <It's not> the- <laughs> you got to blame someone. you got to have a scapegoat. And the kicker is always a good first scapegoat. Yeah, he keeps them going about week five or six when they have to find the real scapegoats when they're when they're own five. Mm. But yeah, so I think reports said that he was then spotted in practice facilities around Indianapolis kicking away. I think he's hoping to try and make it onto another roster. I'd say it probably will get a shot. Like he did have, I wasn't sure if it was it was the year before last that he had the very good season, right? Yeah, yeah he started off well. He hasn't been well, and in, in, he hasn't been good in a while. He's a make a wish kid, right? So like, <laughs> presumably, it's just the, the 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 cancer's catching up with him or whatever. Uh, injuries. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, important season engine injuries. So we've got San Francisco quarterback Trey Lance has injured his ankle and a couple of tendons and he's out for the season. Uh, they've also lost running back Terry and Davis Price with an ankle injury for two to six weeks. Baltimore lose linebacker Stephen Means with an Achilles. He's out for the season. Buffalo cornerback Dane Jackson uh, took some kind of neck injury, they thought, in the match and had to be carted off the field in the stretcher. Positive outlook afterwards. Tennessee offensive tackle Taylor Wan has injured his knee. He was carted off Monday night football. It's an uncertain outlook and doesn't look great. And Washington Washington centre Chase Roulier has uh, injured his knee. He's probably gone for the season as they've responded by signing Nick Martin. I suppose we'll start with San Francisco. This was meant to be, you know, the coming out party for Trey Lance this season. He played a very underwhelming game in a monsoon in Chicago. And then I believe this was this was only about eight to ten minutes into this game, wasn't it? Look, like the way they've been using him in week one and then that week where they were using him in kind of design QB draw runs and stuff and he wasn't really protecting himself I was kind of from week one in some of the chats we had talking it seemed inevitable he'd get injured at some point and unfortunately it came around quite quickly and it came around in the most severe way possible so look I think the coaching staff has to take some blame here if they generally do like this guy is the future of the franchise using him the way they did like a disposable like run pass option quarterback to me looked quite reckless now, of course, they did sign Jimmy G to that restructure at the beginning of the season. So they had the backup plan right there that they know they can make it to the NFC title with, game with. They know they can make the Super Bowl with. So they're not in a disaster zone because of it. But the long-term future of this franchise now has to be in serious question going forward. And the way he was used has serious questions about, you know, what is this guy going to turn out to be in, in what was supposed to be a pretty positive environment for a young quarterback to learn. I think the truth is, is that there was definite growing pains in the first game and a bit that he played you could see that and that they might be a better team right now with Jimmy G a quarterback so I think this season fine I'm not sure about next season but like look next season's a long way away and right now Jimmy G comes in they can probably win some games and stay relevant obviously running back while everyone was kind of hoping one of them would break out maybe it was this guy like it's it's that San Francisco thing where 
just roll the dice it'll be one of 12 players will be the functioning running back that week so he'll probably have as much chance in week six of coming back and taking over a role Baltimore lose another defensive piece because I think that you know they lost a corner last week as well didn't they yeah, yeah Kyle Fuller and it's not like last season where they were losing the, their stars but they are you know losing guys who were starting for them not the guys mm. who you've heard of but guys who were making a contribution they've lost their backup tackle last week they lost a cornerback last week they're now losing a, a linebacker this week those things stack up over the year yeah and they also have people who are playing hurt as well marcus peters had a pretty poor game as we'll talk about because i think he's injured and stuff so it's not quite last season in terms of the injury crisis but definitely it's not where the ravens want to be after losing basically an entire season last season to, to injuries to be back no, Buffalo obviously already a little bit light at the cornerback position coming in with an injury to their kind of superstar cornerback, Dane Jackson. Hopefully he'll be all right. We don't really have details on it now. Tennessee, Taylor Wan going down. Honestly, I, I, I presume that by about 20 minutes into this game, Tennessee Titans fans were looking for very early mock drafts for next year, right? <laughs> well, they already have the QB of the future on the bench. Yeah, this is a team that obviously its successful period in recent years has been based around having a dominant line and that line looked pretty shot, albeit against one of the better defences. Yeah, losing your left tackle certainly isn't going to do it any favours. Kind of similar for Washington. That's a team that has done better than expected in the early innings, we'll say. And losing a veteran Pro Bowl-type centre like Chase Roulier, once again, it probably isn't going to make Carson Wentz any more liable than he, he has already shown himself to be this year. Other that's uh, season-ending in injury terms. Uh, Denver safety Justin Simmons has injured his thigh. He's on injured reserve, so he'll be gone for at least four weeks. They sign Anthony Harris to replace him. Chicago offensive lineman. Ah, that classification is uh, generous. Alex Leatherwood has got motto. He's gone for at least four weeks with that. New York Giants defensive lineman Leonard Williams has an MCL sprain one to four weeks. Cleveland's defensive end Jadavian Clowney has injured his ankle. He'll miss week three, and he'll be week to week following that. Dallas tight end Dalton Schultz has injured his knee and he is also week to week. The letter one wouldn't is just funny because like obviously it is, yeah. the whole situation of him getting mono, which, you know, it's not like uh, Sam Darnold getting mono a few years ago, which was just the funniest thing ever. But like, yeah, kissing disease, obviously mononucleosis is called, but uh, I'm sure he picked it up somewhere else. Justin Simmons is a loss for Denver, but I don't know, that team's kind of a bit iffy overall. And Leonard Williams is one of the good parts of that Giants defense. So if the, and given how tight the games have been involved with, that could have an effect on them. Yeah. Similar for Cleveland. They're having a lot of tight games. You lose your second uh, defensive end beside Miles Garrett. That could have an effect. And Dalton Schultz, honestly, the biggest thing for that is that they, he was lucky because at the time that looked like it could be a very serious injury. And pretty important playmaker for them given the paucity of wide receiver options they have right now. On that little note, we will move on to the game reviews this week. So first up, we have Miami at Baltimore in, I would say, probably the biggest shock of this week, apart from like maybe maybe the next one after this as well. But Miami 42, Baltimore 38. Miami kind of overhaul a late 21-point deficit as Tua looks precise for once in his life. Over 450 yards, six touchdowns, two interceptions. Got the usage of Hill, Hill nearly 200 yards on his own and two touchdowns and Waddle 170 and two touchdowns. Made all his mistakes in the first half and then was just good to go in the second half. Lamar was not bad, 300 and something yards, three touchdowns, over 100 on the ground and a touchdown. But yeah, it was just confusing how this game went because it really, it really did feel like Miami had absolutely no business winning this game at all and then Baltimore just completely switched off in the second half like uh, like it doesn't even feel like it was the entire half either like it just feels like they just kind of 
I don't know if it was energy levels, coaching, if Miami just figured something out about how to use their guys. But, like, it was just, they had no response for a half. Like I said, down three scores. And then all of a sudden, click. Tua looks precise. Tua seems to know what he's doing, which is, frankly, not the Tua that we've seen for the last couple of years of him playing. Very confusing. And then to see Baltimore just kind of collapse onto themselves as well in that space. It was... An unusual one. I, obviously, big one for Miami. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I think this now, because of the way the tiebreakers work, actually holds the number one seed at the moment in the AFC. But yeah, it was very interesting altogether. Obviously, not the result that uh, Baltimore wanted, particularly not at home. But well done, Miami. Is this something that's sustainable or is this something that's just this worked against this, as we mentioned, banged up and missing some players, some players injured, Baltimore defense. Can this be the warning shot to the two anons around around the uh, the internet forums who've been watching this and waiting for this moment? I think there were there were basically two entirely different games that happened. The first three quarters when the Ravens looked comfortable and Lamar looked an MVP form and the Dolphins looked like the kind of team we thought they were. They're good, but not good enough to compete at the top end of the AFC. And then this fourth quarter when Tua suddenly turns into peak Aaron Rodgers throwing these amazing bombs and stuff and, and suddenly realizes he's got two incredibly fast wide receivers against a, a banged up secondary and suddenly it all starts to work. I mean, in, in terms of the sustainability, I think that that question will be answered more ne- next week when they play the Bills. And I think that's going to be the real litmus test because we don't really know. I mean, it's a very impressive start for a rookie head coach to have beaten Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh in his first two weeks on the job and certainly looking like this Dolphins team is better than last season. But I don't think we really know how good this Dolphins team is because this was a team that was, they were really, they were being blown away in this game. And the Ravens, whether they, it's just one of those weird NFL things. I mean, I, I would be inclined to, to label it a freak result and not to worry about it too much if I'm a Ravens fan. It's like, these are things that happen in the NFL sometimes. This momentum is a very weird chimeral thing in the NFL. Sometimes teams just go on runs and suddenly they've, they've overhauled a 21-point deficit in 15 minutes. It, it does happen. I don't think it tells us an awful lot about about the, the vulnerability of the Ravens or the greatness of the Dolphins. I mean, flag Tua for having a great game. He suddenly looked like a quarterback in this game, especially in the fourth quarter, although he was still underthrowing his passes. And I will say that the first... The first long throw to Hill, the the one that really kind of blew this game open and made it look like a possibility, was bad read by Marcus Peters. He is obviously hurt and he didn't look 100%. You know two is going to underthrow that ball, so I don't know why the hell he wasn't tighter to Hill in front of him. He, see, he tend to see, seem to be leaving him a bit of space or something. It was a very weird read. I mean, it's, it's not an easy place for a cornerback to be, but he should have done a better read there. The second one to Hill was a very nice throw as well, and obviously Waddle was, had a big game too so so hands out to Tua they seem to have figured out a little bit offensively what they have in terms of their wide receivers I wouldn't say this game means the Dolphins are better than the Ravens I think the Ravens are just they got caught cold in a freak fourth quarter and I, I expect them to be much better as the season goes on yeah like I kind of said last week in the preview where I said Miami had a shot in this game you know Tua doesn't have to be the best player in the world to win like guys like Hill guys like Waddle make his life easy they can win yards after the catch they can win deep and I think Marcus Peters, like in, in addition to being injured, he's always been a guy who maybe had too much eyes for the quarterback over his assignment. And he certainly was caught watching on that second Hill touchdown and just kind of looked like a fool for like, like you had one job to do and that's to make sure you have 
you know, you're ahead a hill and you're not giving up a touchdown. And they basically failed that assignment completely at a point where the game was very much still in their favour if they could just play fundamental sound football and not give up the big touchdowns. So very much a, a concern there. I think if you're a Baltimore fan, the bigger concern on the offence would probably be the complete lack of the kind of standard run game. I think they had like around 30 yards of running from their running backs. And they got stuffed twice, on once on the goal line and once on a fourth and one. It was a situation where they just couldn't get those tough yards. Yes, Lamar, when he gets to the open field, is an amazing talent. And he had you know made up most of, the, of, of that in the rushing game himself. But just in those situations where you know, you're know you in short yardage situations, or if you're in the lead of the game and you just need to burn clock, they just don't seem to have that aspect of their game there. And of course, that is something that they've had in previous years. They had the effective running game. Now, they're hoping to get J.K. Dobbins back. They're hoping to get Gus the bus back. Maybe when those guys come back, things start to get back to normal. But right now, with the Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake show and Justice Hill sprinkled in, it's just not getting going. And it ended up being very costly here because they desperately needed to just run this clock out and they could have easily won. 21 points is a lot of points to give up in the basically the fourth quarter. If you can run the ball anyway, half-assed effectively, you probably would have won this game. So a concern there. Like I suppose on the upside, of course, Lamar is looking like Lamar. He's he's adding that dynamic passing attack to his his repertoire. He you know he seems to be a bit more accurate um, than he has in previous years. So if he can add being a you know a reasonably accurate passer, particularly deep, with obviously his immense skills as a rusher, then that is a complete package that's going to be nearly impossible to defend so if they just can add a little bit of complimentary run game into that this this is an offense that could definitely explode even further going forward as for the defense as i said they just need to be sounder like i think they didn't need to win the game uh, in the fourth quarter hit it's needed to not lose it and they just didn't do to live up to that assignment as for miami to uh is he great no as i think sean pointed out like the td highlights kind of highlighted that he does underthrow the ball even on that second hill touchdown like hill kind of looks like he's waiting for the ball and he's slowing down but like look when you have guys can get that wide open then you know those things kind of can be obviated a bit so look i think miami they're such a talented team they have talent at pretty much every level of their uh, squad that that's a team that has a lot of growth and i think for tua you know the main thing for him is to not be a deficit like he was in the first half if he can take this build his confidence and start getting back into his game that he was like when he was at college level in alabama then you know this is a team that's so talented it can definitely be a factor in the afc going forward speaking of that two powerhouses who are clearly going to be battling it out in the playoffs the new york jets took on the uh, cleveland browns in a miraculous 31 to 30 comeback win for the jets they overhauled a 13 point lead with two minutes left to go it's uh, joe flacco looking a little bit like elite dragon joe flacco again or or at least not the Joe Flacco we've seen in the last couple of years. Two touchdowns in that period gives him over 300 yards and four touchdowns on the game. It did take, you know, a little bit of luck. It took a, a, an onside kick recovery for them to get there. And the rookie Wilson had a kind of a big coming out day there with uh, two touchdowns and over 100 yards. This was, to be honest, a game that Cleveland just kind of shite away to, to not to put too fine a term in it their defense got badly torched this is joe flacco and lump of rookies like it's not exactly the most difficult thing in the world to to be going against they missed a point after which you know obviously makes the one point difference look even worse for them jake brisket looked fine 220 yards a touchdown and interception nothing to massively write home about but you know cooper did his job got 100 yards and a touchdown chubb over 100 yards and three touchdowns like this is a cleveland team that if the defense steps up a little bit and it really should be doing a little bit more in this spot like they've got that running game their line's not as good as it used to be but like 
like they can win games like this. But the Jets, like it was nice to see a good bit of fight in them. Richard will be very happy to hear this. Sort of the chap who uh, does the does the intro music for the for the show. Yeah, they 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 looked like they were starting to get st- good contributions out of some of the younger players on there. We saw a bit more of Brees Hall in this game as well. Positive for the Jets. Nice to see them go away to Cleveland, be able to gut out a tough win at the tail end like this. That said, you know. You wouldn't necessarily want to be trailing to the Cleveland Browns by 13 points with two minutes left in too many games if you want to be a successful football team. And you'd like to see more coming out of the defense for the Jets, given they've got a defensive-minded head coach and they've been investing capital on that side of the ball quite a bit. But it's a good win for them. Cleveland are going to feel like they should have had this. Now, of course, they are going to have that other feeling in the back of their head that, you know, if this was in week 12 rather than now, they would have a different quarterback under center and they'd feel that they have a better spot for it. So close games like this, they'll probably, you know, they're, they're, they'll chalk up the losses this year for what they see as having set up the future for themselves. But I will relish every game that they lose. It's kind of nice to see Cleveland implode and actually feel happy because fuck the Browns right now. Like they unveiled their uh, midfield logo. Oh, this Brownie weird Brown, the Brownie the Elf thing, yeah. Yeah, Ugh. and he he just he brought an early Christmas present and it was a big pile of shit for the Cleveland fans. Cleveland should have won this game easily. Like a 13-point lead, um, which should have been a 14-point lead with less than two minutes left, like basically just two minutes left after two minute warning and you give up two touchdowns like that's pretty difficult to see happening to see it happening against joe flacco and the jets that's like an extra level of what the fuck is going on here basically and like look like what happened is basically joe flacco got a deep touchdown to Corey davis uh, with the first touchdown that's inexplicable like we talked about i just talked about the moment there you know you're trying not to lose the game, not win the game with your defense. The defense basically shot the bed by giving up a one-on-one and just, you know, basically giving up a touchdown in it so quickly. And then, of course, onside kick recovery. Like, look, onside kicks, they're they are weird and strange and sometimes shit happens. And it seems to be compared to, like, when the onside kick rules were changed a couple of years ago, the teams have adjusted and found new strategies to get that success proportion a little bit higher. Maybe they've been taking notes from Koo over the last few years. But, like, look, they got it and they took advantage and they, you know, I think Flacco, to be fair to him, was very methodical. He was not panicked at all. He just kept taking those kind of shallow outs to the sideline that Cleveland inexplicably allowed him to do multiple times. And then they got into the red zone and they got the score that they needed at the end of the game. And so it was just very controlled by Flacco. And I think that's maybe the difference you would see by having a veteran like Flacco who's seen it all, who's won a Super Bowl, compared to if they had Zach Wilson back in there. I think the big thing for the Jets is like, this is all happening with Joe Flacco, so it's not the future. Obviously, if this has been happening with Wilson, you can be much more excited. But like, look, this is a very young team, and you see your young star Garrett Wilson ball out. You have to be happy about that. Brees Hall was a little bit more involved in the running game. You got to like that. I think Sauce Gardner got injured, so that's unfortunate on the defensive side. And the defense, definitely, you would want to see more progress there going forward. But they, a win's a win for the Jets this season. I think they'll take whatever wins they can get, no matter how it happens. And against a team that we're all happy to see lose week to week. As for Cleveland... I think the defense definitely has to have big questions, especially at the end of the game. I think the offense at least was a little bit better than last week, a little bit more balanced. I think they talked about the fact that Amari Cooper is a guy who gets himself open. He's a really elite right runner, and Brissett just had to trust that he would be open. And you definitely saw a bit of that in this game with over 100 yards for Cooper. So that's good to see uh, for their offense going forward. But you know, the, the engine of this offense is still Nick Chubb with over 100 yards and three touchdowns. Hunt was uh, a little bit more of a bit player. But of course, when they come up against better teams, which is in theory what they'll definitely face once they have Deshaun Watson back you know people are going to key in on the front they're going to stop the run and so this pass game which is very nebulous needs to get going if they 
really want to be contenders or consider themselves contenders. Brissett was better, but on the other, like for most of this game, he was actually goodish. But that pick at the end of the game was absolutely horrible. He there was one man rushing him, and he threw a pick. There's just no excuses for that. He just had no idea what he was doing. He looked like he was panicking with the seconds left down, and yeah, it was just a, an ignominious end for a team that's going through an ignominious time. There's a limit to how much analysis can really get us in this game. I mean, I think this is just an emotional way to go Jets and fuck you Browns. I mean, the Jets, their defense isn't great, which isn't a good sign for a, a defensive mastermind head coach. I hope they're not going, going to rely too much on Joe Flacco as the season goes on because he is past his best, even if this is probably his best game in a Jets jersey. But I mean, it's the heart, you know. This is a team, and it's something you see with the Detroit Lions as well. This is a team that goes out and fights for their head coach. It's a team that really, they obviously believe in Robert Sala and the team want to get behind him. And they, they do have this never-say-die attitude that worked a little bit last season. Um, we saw it in flashes and, and it showed up here. And these are the kind of games that you win when you have, have a never-say-die attitude. If you're a team that gives up, these are the games, you, you never win these kinds of games. They don't come around all the time, but these are the ones the fans remember and these are the ones that can be the start of something something great. So, I mean, I think it's just a, a kind of an emotional win for the Jets, but I wouldn't expect them to, to make any impact Going forward, in terms of the Browns, well, it couldn't happen to a nicer team. I mean, the, the rumors about what was happening in the, the parking lot beforehand in terms of the, the various the fans setting up the massage tables and stuff to make fun of this guy. I mean, it's just, I don't even want to get into what how far down the, the scale of evilness that the Browns as an organization, as an entire entity has fallen in the last six months. But uh, this is karma. This really is coming back to haunt them in terms of the team the defense as, as i kind of flagged last week the defense does not look as good as it did last year and it was such a big part of what made them decent last year that it's kind of worrisome especially since they don't have anything offensively other than the running game Brissett was better than he was last week but he's still not still not someone you a playoff team should be hanging their hat on and the running game is basically all they have so i mean yeah i hope they mire in mediocrity for the rest of the season, I hope their playoff run is basically dead by the time Watson comes in. And I hope they lose a lot more games when they have absolute collapses in the last two minutes. Because, uh, yeah, this this is is finally, finally a chance, as, as one said, to feel good about a Browns collapse. Because we've seen a lot of these over the years. And it's finally nice to be able to see the forces of good winning one for a change. Very much so. Next up, Arizona at Las Vegas in a game that no one really wanted overtime in. 29-23, to Arizona. Las Vegas collapsed as Murray and them just came back in the end. 227 yards, a touchdown interception. Also, a rushing touchdown, some yards on the ground. An incredible two-point conversion as well, where I believe he ran something like 80 or 90 yards to try and uh, to try and get the two points. Brings their like offense to overturn a 0-20 halftime deficit. Like... I am baffled by this game hugely. Carr was 252 yards, two touchdowns. He was solid, but wasn't able to do very much when they had the lead. Yeah, like Renfro fumbled the ball to Arizona. It was just a mess. I think Fitz last week described this as like a pure chaos game. This is just like Arizona looked as bad as they did whenever the Chiefs were playing them for the first half. And then the second half, Vegas Raiders apparently just remembered that they're not a very good team and forgot how to play football and just allowed Kyler Murray and the guys to start running all over them. It was It's very hard to take anything for either team out of this, I think. Arizona's offense looked to catch a little bit more of a spark in the second half, so... I suppose a bit of a positive for them. Also, they're not starting 0-2 now, so that's that's a positive for them. Vegas, look, they are 0-2. This is not the 
uh, start they maybe wanted to see. Uh, they're not getting, you know, 250 yards and two touchdowns and then collapsing and doing what, like putting up three points in the second half is not, it's not a formula for anything. This is them at home against a team that were slated to just be destroyed. Yet somehow they did that successfully for a half, shut them out and then went, well, jobs are good and I'm done. Time for a nap. Is there anything that you can take from this game, Ronan? Because I'm 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 struggling. Well, both teams are intrinsically chaotic. Like I think, given where they are and their respective huge weaknesses and huge strengths and a bunch of weird stuff going on, I kind of thought this would be a chaotic game, and it ended up being that. Like it didn't look like that at halftime. It looked like the Ra- Raiders were just a better team. They were showing a more varied attack than last week. You know, not that much Devontae Adams a lot. A lot of Mac Hollins for whatever reason showing up on on the on the box score. So, you know, it was an interesting first half to see them take over a defense which is obviously not good. Arizona's defense is just bad overall. JJ Watt was back and he did make a bit of a difference. But for whatever reason in the second half they just basically did a disappearing act and while they were disappearing, the Kyler Murray bullshit show just ran into town and Kyler Murray just started doing absolutely nonsense bullshit that in no way should have worked. And like lots of it didn't work. They had a bunch of drop passes. They had a bunch of like failed for like uh, they had some failed fourth down conversions. They shouldn't have had more chances the chances that they did have to win this game, but the Raiders just kind of just didn't do anything and just gave them opportunity after opportunity and eventually the Kyler Murray magic bullshit came true and like that two-point conversion like that has to be the highlight of the whole thing where I think uh, he brought up a scout line uh, from when he was uh, in college saying he looks like a toddler that just stole his parents phone just when he runs around just like with the ball he's like oh what am I gonna do what am I gonna do and just waits and then you know for literally a 20 second period of time when the Raiders defense had two guys rushing him and he just waited till they got tired and they basically lunged at him and he ran right past them into the into the corner of the end zone it was just it's kind of stuff that real defenses shouldn't happen and I know Kyler's magic but that is truly just some bullshit let's be honest there so I think for me Arizona look completely chaotic completely lost their defense is bad their offense has literally nothing to it except for hey Kyler go do things so for me I don't rate Arizona really any more than I did before this game. I still think they're just a bad team and they just happen to come against a team here that just inexplicably shat itself. Make of that what you will going forward. I, I'm not particularly hopeful for them, but they, when you have Kyler Murray, you can have dumb fun games and occasion you can win. He's going to have to do a hell of a lot if they're going to be anything more than like a, you know, like a seven, eight win team. For the Raiders, like look really bad. It was just really, really bad and inexplicably bad. And Josh McDaniels has a lot of work to do to get this team back to being somewhat credible they're obviously 0-2 already uh, it's very difficult to make the playoffs from that position historically I don't think it's happened since they expanded the playoffs a couple of years ago so they're gonna have to do a lot of work but the pieces are there to be a relevant team but in AFC I just I just can't see it and that offensive line even though it didn't give that too many sacks here against a really bad Arizona defense you could still see that Carr was getting pressured a little more than yeah. you would expect given how poor that defensive line is so look both these teams right now I'm putting them in the toilet and occasionally you'll have fun games but for me not really worth uh, thinking about in terms of relevance for the uh, the business end of this season coming forward no of course next up Chargers at Chiefs 24 to 27 two big Watkins to the tight end Justin Watkins had nice big 41 yard catch there for the Chiefs but the big one the the highlight play is obviously Jalen Watson the seventh round rookies 99 yard interception touchdown which kind of helps on do a 17-7 lead the Chiefs score 17 unanswered at the tail end 
to then kind of be able to hold the line towards the tail end. It was a mixed bag for the Chiefs on this one, Sean. Mahomes had 235 yards, two touchdowns. A few riskier throws, I'd say. The thing, One of the things I took away from this was this Chargers defense looks incredibly good at the moment. They can get pressure and they can move a lot of pieces around. They are quite talented on that side of the ball. CEH looked good when he was used there. Do you seem to be pushing the ball more to him? Herbert had 330 yards, three touchdowns, and that big interception that we mentioned. He got banged up a little bit later on in the game and has some uh, cartilage issue, I think, on his ribs now afterwards. Like, found Williams. Williams was basically the go-to guy with Keenan Allen out for the game at 113 yards a touchdown. They basically saw the matchup with McDuffie out and said, okay, we're just going to keep finding the backup corner that's on him and we're just going to keep keep hammering at him. Everett also had 71 yards, but also was probably part of the reason for that interception. Interception. I think part of the reason for the interception as well is that they changed some of the the essentially passing lanes and Herbert missed that one of the passing lanes was essentially closed on him and tried to throw it into that space while the defenders hadn't actually turned around yet. But to a certain extent, this is a game that feels like Kansas City probably got a bit lucky to get out of it with the win the way they did. It wasn't it wasn't a huge gap between the two of them by the end of it, but the Chargers felt like they should have been able to close this game out a little bit more, do a little bit more with it. I would wonder if that's the difference between, you know, coaching and stuff like that. But Kansas City get the win, albeit not looking like the massively superior team. Good stuff for both teams on both sides. The Chargers defense in particular looking very tasty in this one. The Herbert led Chargers falling just a little bit short again as uh, seems to happen a little bit too often for them what was your takeaway Sean you're right that they are they were two kind of well-matched teams but I think that's a good sign because it means that both these teams are upper end of the AFC I think this is a really good game between two really good teams two teams that know each other quite well and, and there was kind of back and forth in terms of adjustments it came down to ultimately to execution and, and the Chiefs found a way probably as a game in terms of takeaway it's more of a char- the more the Chargers can take away more from this game than the Chiefs in terms of what they have to learn I mean, you're right, their defense looks a lot better than it did last year, particularly the, the front seven looks very impressive again, a lot of good pressure, and, and they look quite aggressive when they need to be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The offense, when it's clicking, looks very good. Mike Williams had a much better game than he had in week one. They need to get a little bit better at third downs. I think they had a really, I can't remember the exact stat, but they were quite poor in third downs, which is why I think they end up in fourth down situations so much. There's a lot of talk about Brandon Staley and his aggression in fourth downs. I think it's just because they end up in fourth down all the time that he kind of feels he has to take that chance every once in a while. But from the Chargers, the real concern is that once again, as they did an awful lot of times last season, and they did in week one against the Raiders, the offense completely lost momentum in the second half. They had a really good start, looked really good in the first half, and at halftime you're like, wow, the Chargers are Super Bowl contenders. Both ends of the ball, they look really good. And then it all kind of fade away. Partly that was adjustments made by the Chiefs who kind of dropped into a shell defense, made it a little bit harder for Herbert to make the throws need to make. Partly it was just execution. That decisive pick six was something the Chargers could have avoided. So yeah, once again, it is that kind of situation of Chargers got a charge. They have a really good team. They got to win these kind of games. You don't win, you're not going to win the Super Bowl if you can't beat big teams in big games, which is something, for example, the Buffalo Bills have slowly been learning to do for the past three or four years. And maybe it feels like the Chargers are the Bills two years ago where they look really good, but you don't trust them to actually win big games and you don't trust them to go all the way. In terms of the Chiefs, they look in good good shape, I think. Mahomes is playing at peak Mahomes level. He looked quite good. Edward Solaire is becoming an increasingly large part of the offense, which I think is nice. It's it's an addition they've been having to make, and they slowly, over the kind of past two or three years, they've kind of been expanding the run game. It's a good part of it. The one concern maybe would be the receiving core. I mean, what is the point of, of MBS? I don't really understand what... No idea whatsoever. 
No idea. I understand. Whatsoever. I understand that Tyreek Hill replacing Tyreek Hill. You had to basically replace him with two different players: Smith Schuster for the underneath and Valdez Scantling for the the longer ones. But he's just not getting open, and he's not making long runs. And he's no, just he's he, terrible. He's like no he, can, he can't catch balls for shit. Like I don't know. I honestly don't know. Is like I think. Yes, I think. Yes. I think he costs like two million dollars. I don't think they're paying him much. But like I would. I would be giving that to. A, I, I like. I would be giving all his snaps to someone else. Like I just don't yeah, know what I, he's I, doing there. The, I don't. I think that as the season goes on, the Chiefs may start targeting him less and less, and he might just fade out because it doesn't feel like he has he has a role in this team, which otherwise looks quite good and will be very tough to beat. But this is this win shows the Chiefs are a mature kind of they know how to win kind of team that makes them once again the team to beat in the AFC West. And the Chargers look really impressive, really talented, but still look that one little bit short in terms of is it execution, is it mindset, is it belief, whatever. They're just not winning these big games and they really should be in a position to because they look like on talent, perhaps the most, other than the Bills, they're perhaps the most talented team in the AFC, but they're not winning the games they should be winning. And they're struggling, i.e. last week against the Raiders in team games they should be blowing away. So some work still to be done for this team, but if they get it right, they'll be a very tough team to beat down the stretch. Next up, Cincinnati at Dallas, 17-20. to Cooper Rush looked all right in this game, actually. 235 yards and a touchdown. All going to the new chaps in Brown, which has kind of surprised everyone. Uh, he leads a winning one-minute field goal drive after control performance and, yeah, managed to do it pretty well. Run game looked good in this. Like, they're not... Ezekiel is not getting, having a kind of Saquon style, Saquonisance, but, like, it, 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 you know, over 100 yards, four yards per carry. It's, it's a pretty solid way for a team that we essentially kind of wrote off after after the injury and said like look you're never fully dead in that division but you know you're probably not going to win too much this is a very good win for them and a very worrying turn of results for for Cincinnati the collapse seems to be continuing here Burrow sub 200 yards only one touchdown the offensive line did nothing for him this Dallas D that people question is it talented enough it's missing some players all kinds of six sacks eight tackles for a loss they only allowed about 300 yards total that is not great. I suppose your hope is that Cincinnati last year had games where they disappeared and took a while to get things clicking in that. Parsons had two sacks and two tackles for a loss to continue on from his great performance last year. This was a good win for Dallas. I don't know, Roni. This is just so concerning for Cincinnati that like they can't seem to get anything going. They brought. I know that they swapped around some pieces, but it wasn't a great offensive line to start with. Like They were hoping that this would be an improvement. They are getting absolutely destroyed behind it. Like, is this still shaking rust off? Or is this something that is just like, this is what the Cincinnati Bengals are going to look like this year? If they're shaking rust off, by the time they're finished getting rid of the rust, there'll be nothing left. It's certainly not Joe Burrow's legs at this rate. Like, it's just like (laughs) Joe Burrow has been asked to do way too much at the moment. Like, he's literally having to carry the entire offense by himself and with an offensive line that can't protect him for a second. And like, yes, last week was TJ Watt wrecking shop. This week, Micah Parsons was an absolute menace. Albeit there was a few sacks for other guys like Doran Armstrong, but... Micah Parsons stood out. Every time you saw him on defense, he just looked like he was going to destroy someone. Whether that be Joe Mixon, who had a terror, like a bad game, only three yards of carry, or Joe Burrow on a passing play. Micah Parsons is just an absolute force of nature, and he's making this entire rest of this defense look way better than perhaps they, than they actually are. And, you know, there was solid contributions from other things. Trayvon Diggs was good. He also had a really important uh, pass breakup towards the end of the game to kill um, the Bengals' chance of winning this game. Overall, it was just, they invested a lot, but Lael 
Collins, uh, the right tackle they signed. He was getting beat like a drum all game. Veterans that they've had there for a while, Jonah Williams, he looked terrible. So it's 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 not the new guys, not the old guys. It's just bad from end to end. And it's just, uh, you know, Joe Burrow has been asked to do a lot there. And that's basically taking away their capacity to even take advantage of whatever one-on-one ops uh, they were getting for uh, Jamar Chase and the other wide receivers. You have to have time to throw a deep ball and they're getting not even the time to get like the two, three seconds you need to just throw it up deep. Um, and to be honest, even with that, defenses are adjusting. They have adjusted to what they did last week. The explosive plays are being taken away. The run game is not where it needs to be. And so they're being forced a bit, like as we talked about last week, you know, the, the adaption we've seen from guys like Josh Allen and Pat Mahomes, you know, having to play more uh, safer balls, dump off balls, that kind of stuff. That, that that needs to happen for this team, but I'm not sure if that can happen on a sustainable basis if the offensive line is literally up to nothing. Um, so look, for Bengals, lots to worry about. The defense looks bad. The run game isn't working. The explosive pass plays aren't there because uh, defenses are adjusting and the offensive line is giving time. Just huge concerns. The only thing is that Joe Burrow, despite all of those deficits, and yes, admittedly against Cooper Rush and, and Mitch Trubisky in terms of the opposing offenses, he's still managing to put in the positions where they could potentially win these games. So Joe Burrow's still amazing, but he needs they need to give him something to do. Hopefully the offensive line gels better as the season goes on because this is a team that we saw last year that when they are good, they can be really Really exciting and fun. As for the Cowboys, I think they got the perfect backup quarterback performance. Controlled, measured, safe. Avoid um, the major mistakes. Give your uh, the rest of your offense and your defense the opportunity to kind of keep the score ticking over if you're having a good game. And overall, just be, you know, just don't fuck up, basically. And Cooper Rush looked solid, and he looked like maybe a poor man's Andy Dalton type guy out there. And that's all that they could ask him to do. And they were probably fortunate that that was all he needed to do. And he showed up at the end when it was 17-17, one minute left. He got the, the scoring drive, got Noah Brown involved, got CeeDee Lamb involved, got the guys who were involved in a way that, you know, let those guys do their work. And to some extent, you know, given how bad their, their wide receiver core is right now, maybe he benefits from the fact that they're using a lot of backups because obviously he'd be mostly familiar with the backups from, from the preseason and, and training camp. So for, for Dallas... They're mostly just trying to get whatever Ws they can until Dak Prescott comes back and see if that's good enough to get them back on track. But for them, running game looks okay. Defense looks great. Well, looks good. Michael Parsons looks amazing. Quarterback not screwing up. We'll see how many Ws they can rack up with this type of system. I don't think they'll win every week, but if they go 50-50 till Dak comes back, they'll probably be pretty happy with that. Yeah, no, they'd take that if they were offered it. Tampa Bay at New Orleans, 20-10 to in. My God, what a drock of a fucking game this was. Three fourth quarter interceptions from Jameis, who had 230 yards, a touchdown, and three interceptions. Finally, finally broke the deadlock in what was a very grim defense first three versus three game. So it was a pick six and then Tom terrific had a touchdown who overall New Orleans did what they do and they kept him in check you know 190 yards and one touchdown they were to take 10 points out of the two interceptions so they were able to stop them this New Orleans team without Kamara didn't seem to really have anything going there's no love loss as we mentioned the fight between Evans and Lattimore so like they then lost prize Bruce Arians appearances. What, why is he on yeah. the sideline? That was a bit weird as well. I didn't really understand what he was doing there, apart from just kind of laughing at uh, not having to he's deal this, with any of the shit. Senior advisor to the general manager, apparently. But, but apparently he was chatting to the media about like he golfs three times a week now. <laughs> like just he's not even not even pretending. This the is GM's usually in the exec box though, right? Like why mm. is he at the coaches? Yes, yes. <laughs> it doesn't explain why he was on the on the sideline, but just explain why he's still technically a part of the Bucks organization. True. True. 
yeah, this is, look, it's a bad, bad, bad performance from New Orleans, but we kind of, we expect them to have a couple of up and down ones. They're missing some pieces in this, so like maybe they can make it back. You're always due a couple of bad ones. They were they were right in this until Jameis went classic Jameis and threw all those interceptions. If I'm Tampa Bay, I'm so torn at this point because you always historically have problems with New Orleans. You always put it down to the coaching staff that were there. They're not there anymore, but maybe they're just running the same system. If I'm Tampa Bay, I am feeling like possibly the shakiest of the 2-0 teams, except for like maybe the Dolphins. Dolphins had a good, had a particularly strong quarter. Whereas Tampa Bay, I'm not sure, have looked that good so far. They're 2-0. That's where you want to be. You want to get your position. You want to get a win over a division rival. I'd be worried a little bit that maybe this is a year too late into the thing. And bear in mind, I'm saying this is someone who picked them to make the Super Bowl in my preseason prediction, so I'm probably overreacting to the first two weeks. But they do seem a little slow out of the slow out of the blocks here, Sean. It's not it's not an illusion. This team is not as good as it was last year. At least on the offensive side, the defense looks kind of scary. Although they really they haven't been properly tested, but it'll be interesting to see how they hold up against the very elite teams. But offensively, it's yeah, Brady. He's deaf. I mean. We've talked, we've, we've written off Brady before. We've always talked about the decline before and he's always turned around and won Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, I'm willing I'm willing to, to hold up my hand and say I'm wrong if, if I'm wrong about this, but it definitely does feel like the dynamism from Brady isn't there anymore. They're relying a lot more on the run game than they used to and the run game kind of got stuffed. Here, Fournette really couldn't, I mean, he, he ended up with like 60 yards or something, but he just didn't ever get properly going. The Saints were able to get some tight coverage in the passing game. They, they stopped. They didn't play zone at all. And, and it kind of stifled Brady. He couldn't really find his groove at all. He got quite frustrated, started throwing tablets at the ground, start, started a fight then, which, you know, ended up with two other players getting ejected, which is interesting because, I mean, I think it is the, the maybe the books have finally found the solution to beating the Saints is to try and get the opponent's best defender sent off. It is usually a good strategy to do that because the things did kind of turn around after Lattimore got ejected. The Bucks, it was frustrating. There were areas of execution early on. The fumble, there was a miscommunication on fourth down uh, uh, in the red zone at one point. So they weren't really gunning through, but they, they powered through. They didn't make any errors. One thing they did that I noticed they weren't doing before is that they kept the turnovers down. The big problem with the Bucks against the Saints in the last two or three years is the tons of turnovers they give. They only gave up one turnover here compared to the five that the Saints gave up which did kind of turn it around. And because their defense is so good and the Saints' offense wasn't really going anywhere, the game was just kind of chugging along and they were waiting for their moment. And then their moment happened. They've got their one big touchdown play and that was a game one. So on the one hand, you can say that the Bucks really haven't done anything so far to impress, especially offensively. On the other hand, they won a game that last year they would have lost, that they would have been stifled. Last year they were stifled in these kind of games. I mean, the famous 9-0 game comes to mind. This time they stuck it out. They, they didn't... They didn't start gambling. They just kind of kept it going, and eventually it started to go right. A lot of that can go on defense. I mean, keep an eye on this defense. This defense has only conceded 13 points total in the first two games, albeit against the Cowboys team that isn't looking as good as they were last season. But that was even before Dak went out. He wasn't He wasn't having any kind of a game uh, against the Bucks last week and against the Saints defense, which you know isn't the best in the world. But still, it's it's a good sign that there this could be a defense led operation and Brady can do just enough. You kind of get a sense they might be able to do a Broncos in in Peyton's last year, where the the big name QB isn't actually contributing all that much anymore, but the defense is doing so much, uh, and and you can then rely on your QB to in crunch situations to get it done just enough to get over the line. So I wouldn't write off the books just yet, but yeah, we haven't seen them 
They weren't anywhere near as explosive as they were uh, last season. In terms of the Saints, the defense made an immense effort, as I talked about, stifled the pass game, stifled the run game, but the offense just couldn't hold up its end of the bargain whatsoever. James Winston, he's finally got his, his uh, interception habit back, blew this game when it really mattered. Not having Alvin Kamara on the field hurt them, especially when they're facing a run defense this good. They just they Ingram had a few good runs at the start, but then it just solely petered out, and ultimately the Saints, without really much of a run game and without much of a passing game, just couldn't get anything done. And ultimately, you do need to score points if you want to beat the Bucks, even if it is just 20 or whatever. But ultimately, they couldn't get it done. So, uh, juries, I think, still out in both these teams. The, the Bucks have not quite proven that they're at that elite level yet. Next week against the Packers will be the first real litmus test in terms of that. And the Saints, I mean, they only just about got away with a win against the Falcons. And here, they didn't look like they were up to much against the Bucks. So... I don't think the post-Payton era for the Saints is is promising all that much, to be honest. Yeah, it, it, it looks more like the transitionary year that we thought it might be. But we'll see, we'll see. 30 days and these are two teams that always play each other a little bit weird. Now, I'm sure all the rest of you guys have very important games and it's, it's very important to all of you to hear about them. We all thought that they were great and so great that we thought we'd let Fitz talk about them instead of us all talking about them. So uh, here's the dump off. Yes, it's me, the protagonist of the podcast, giving you the dump off, the most important part of the podcast. But yeah, look, this week, a lot of uh, some close games here, we'll give them some respect, and then uh, a few blowouts, especially in prime time, that we'll uh, give it a brief review over. We'll start off with Carolina at the New York Giants, 16-19. A pretty grim game, I'm going to be honest, a lot of field goals here, but Danny Dimes, he gets an 11-yard rush to cap this game off after Saquon won the battle of the uh, running backs here. He had less yards than CMC, 88-128, to but... He was on the winning side, so I think that's the main thing overall. They were set up to win the Giants, perhaps by more, by having two early fumbles, but they could only convert that into two field goals. But as you can see from the score, that ended up being the decisive set of points in this game. So overall for the Giants, they're winning games. That's good. We'll see if they can do that against teams who are actually, you know, good at football. As for Carolina, Baker looks still seriously lost. Within his offense, still a lot of uh, quick outs and screen game and stuff like that. So. Hopefully he can build as the season goes on into this offense. But right now, you know, there's flashes of potential and certainly they need to get CMC involved early and often. They still, in this game, kind of left CMC alone for the first bit of this game. It was kind of inexplicable, but they have enough things there that they could be relevant. But given that they're already, you know, uh, in a, in a two-game hole, this could be you know, a tough position for Matt Rule and he could be easily gone by the middle of the season. Next up, Atlanta at the Rams, 27-31. So close to that meme being overturned. They were down 28-3, and they nearly won this game. They could have banished the uh, the evil ghost forever. But unfortunately, it came up just short as Mariota threw an ill-advised pass to Brian Edwards that was basically mossed by Jalen Ramsey for an interception in the red zone. And then there was a one final drive for Atlanta that ended up in a pretty sloppy sack. Mariota, like, look, he's not going to, you know, mistake for Josh Allen or Tom Brady out there, but he's a very effective kind of dual-threat quarterback who can run the ball well, who can pass it okay, and, you know, he seems to have a good connection already with the with the rookie Drake London, albeit Kyle Pitts, the uh, tight end they picked early last year, has not really shown up so far. So for Atlanta, I think it's still better than you expected, but you'd wonder how sustainable this whole thing is. As for the Rams, like Stafford, three touchdowns, two interceptions. You probably want to have to tamp down on the interceptions, but look, that's who he is, and obviously they won a Super Bowl in last year, so that I suppose on the balance they're happy enough with it. I think the run game looked a little bit better, although it's still not a, still not great first half of this game. But the turnovers, there's just too many of them. They need to count that down. Cup is still the entirety of the offense. Let's be honest, he had over 100 yards for two touchdowns on 11 receptions. Uh, but I think at least 
They got Allen Robinson involved. He got a touchdown as well. They got Akers some touches in the run game. So, and Tyler Higby had a pretty good game in terms of yards and receptions. So, look, I think it's not as cup focused as it was in that week one loss to Buffalo. But, you know, definitely they're building into the season and the lack of preseason, you can definitely tell they're still. You know, a little bit of rust there. Next up, 9-16, to 16, Houston at Denver. Uh, let's just say Denver weren't good, and let's say it's not a great sign when your fans are literally counting down the clock for you because you have your second game where you're giving up infinite number of like delay of game penalties and you literally don't know what you're doing and you forget to put a returner out during a punt and you just seem to be completely a disarray for the entire game, both the rookie head coach, Tanya Hackett, and the supposed veteran quarterback, Russell Wilson, who... To be fair, finally beat down the Houston defense with a pass to the uh, tight end. He ended up with around 200 yards, a touchdown and interception. But like just so much sloppiness. There was like a red zone call early in this game, uh, which was called back a touchdown to Kirtland Sutton. And they literally planned the exact same play again. Complete disrespect for Houston against a, you know, an interesting rookie, Stingley. And just complete disrespect when they have Javante Williams right there and he looks explosive. So just give him the damn ball. I, I realize they fumbled it twice last week, so that's not a guaranteed return but it still looked a lot better than whatever they were trying to do with the pass offense and whatever nonsense they're doing in terms of their game management. As for Houston, little to no offense, just very little juice coming from Mills. He had only 177 yards overall, but Damian Pierce did flash a little bit. Get Damian Pierce involved more, I think that would overall be positive. But I think the defense is an interesting one, obviously under a defensive head coach, building to something there maybe. Maybe not this season, but going forward, this could be a defense to be uh, cautious of. Next up, New England to Pittsburgh, 17-14. to New England basically grinds down the TJ Watt-less Pittsburgh Steelers here in a game that could only be described as it happened. Look, the rush game mostly did the work here. 118 yards and a touchdown uh, from the Damian Harris and Stevenson run game. And it complemented the occasional flashes of that nice play action, deep pass, Mac attack that we saw last year. Topped off probably that Aguilar touchdown, which was really important uh, in this game uh, in terms of the winning. 252 yards, a touchdown interception. Like, look, it's not great, but it was better than week one. It looked at least there was some semblance of what it is. And I think, you know, the fact that they went back to the power running game probably has something to do with that and um, maybe the uh, zone blocking experiment is over as for the Pittsburgh Steelers the offense looks terrible again Mitch was incredibly super conservative here 160 yards uh, uh, touchdown still managed to throw a pick of course but the New England defense and special teams they got two turnovers three sacks three tackles for a loss but they weren't playing as an offense that was trying to beat them it was just trying not to lose them and Najee Harris okay better game 89 yards but Still looks a step slow with the injuries that he's carrying and like the crowd was chanting for Pickett to come on the, the rookie that they picked in the first round and to be honest I don't disagree with them they need some juice and Pickett might be the juice they need because right now they have a talented set of wide receivers they're treating like they're all Cole Beasley it doesn't make any sense Washington at Detroit 27 to 36 score probably flatters Washington here a little bit Detroit were dominant in this game but just their poor defense overall in the second half let Washington sneak back into maybe this being a contest but look it was 22-0 at the half so Detroit had this in hand thankfully just 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 a fun stat you might enjoy on this one the Lions have scored 35 plus points in three straight regular season games for the first time since 1952 why are they getting all those points because they're praising the sun gone Amon Ra St. Brown has been absolutely <laughs> going insane um, and DeAndre Swift is uh, you know adding that spice on top he only had 87 yards I think on like 
less than five touches in this game and he had like a touchdown that was he just got the ball just did some magic and it ran in after a reception from Goff and, and nearly falling over but Armand Ra was the star here both in the passing game and in the end around rushing game he was just unstoppable and the connection he has with Goff seems to be kind of the glue that's making this offense so exciting and it's like I think the reason the offense is good let's be honest is because the offensive line is a dominant offense it's creating like four yards in, in rushing basically by itself so when you have that foundation good things can happen even when you have Jared Goff and like you know they kept up with a Philly team that we all respect uh, last week and they finally beat a bad team well a relatively bad time here as for Washington obviously you know they scored no points in the first half so Carson Wentz is bad but then they scored 27 points in the second half so Carson Wentz is good that is the duality of man that is Carson Wentz right now. I think the big thing for them is that they're getting all of their wide receivers involved. Terry McLaurin is getting involved. Curtis Samuel is getting involved. Jahan Dotson is getting involved. So they have a dynamic attack. And I think Antonio Gibson has been pretty solid the first two weeks. So they have things to build, at least being an interesting offense. But the defense is dog shit. Just dog shit from end to end. And given that that's a, like Ron Rivera supposed to be a defensive head coach and they have all those talented names, even with all the injuries they have on defense, major concerns that they're not going to have any wins from all this production that they're apparently getting on the offensive side so they're more fun than they should be so we'll take it given how bad they could potentially be speaking on the opposite side let's talk about indianapolis uh, indianapolis at jacksonville 0 to 24 duval is just a factory of sadness for the colts franchise obviously uh, you think about the week uh, 18 loss that knocked them out of the playoffs last year but 0 to 24 you know, getting shut out by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Like, Matt Ryan was pasted and flummoxed by the Jacksonville defense, which, to be fair, is younger and more exciting than it has been for a while. But three interceptions, five sacks, five tackles for a loss, less than 250 yards allowed. And even Jonathan Taylor, he had 63 yards overall, but nearly all that's in the second half. He had, like, like five yards in the first half when this game might have still been relevant. So, just really bad overall. Like, they were missing uh, Pittman and a couple other guys from the offense, but no excuses, let's be honest. As for Trevor Lawrence, not the most exciting stat line, 258 for two touchdowns, but he was solid, he was controlled, he didn't make mistakes, and he's finding the new free agent pickup, Christian Kurtz, 78 yards, two touchdowns, so it's all looking nice, and James Robinson coming back and looking solid, 70 yards, 10 touchdown, that's nice, especially when you wanted to close the game out like they did here. Colts could have had some points in the second half, and they went for a fourth down to get the touchdown, so you know, they didn't take the coward's way, but besides that, everything else is bad about this Colts team, do not watch. Next up, Seattle at San Francisco, 7-27. San Francisco were just better than the Seahawks in every single element before Trey Lance got injured, but especially after Trey Lance got injured and Jimmy G came in, spread the ball around to Ayuk and Debo and all those, it just looked like it was already 2021 or 2020, but mostly just handed the ball off to Jeff Wilson in the second half and that was more than enough to get a, get through a Seattle D-line that just awful most of the time 189 yard rush yards just you're never going to win in that Geno Smith really limited 197 yards just they aren't letting him pass deep at all at all at all except on trick plays and it just means his offense is just so boring especially because the run game just isn't going and the fact that they pulled him on a trick play in the red zone that turned into an interception by the uh, running back Dallas was just the insult to injury basically because if you can't trust your quarterback to do it in the red zone and you have this stupid trick play that gets interception it's just just awful right now uh, week one will always be remembered but uh, i think things are only going to go downhill from here but shout out to uh, michael jackson with his thriller kick block touchdown next up chicago at green bay the sunday night football 10 to 27 a rod gets back in track uh, you know cashing in some of the shares that he owns of the chicago organization uh, for another l uh, for the uh, the bears faithful but really this was the aaron jones show 170 yards and two touchdowns and fairly limited touches but i think sammy Watkins had a nice game as well like 90 yards or so but the defense 
basically completely owned Justin Fields. An interception, three sacks, six tackles for a loss, and 250 yards allowed. And they had a, a couple of, uh, like, they had a goal line stand that was just kind of the icing on the cake in the second half that killed this game off of the contest. Fields just didn't exist. Montgomery looked good, 136 yards on the ground, but yeah, just a lot of things to get better in Chicago before they're in any way a relevant factor. Green Bay back on track for now. Minnesota, Philly, 7 24. Hey, it's primetime Kirk Cousins. What do you think is going to happen? Oh, he shit the bed. Well, that, that's completely unprecedented. To be fair, he was the top rusher for the team with 20 yards. That's how bad this offensive output was for the Minnesota Vikings, albeit obviously coming from behind. But the Philadelphia defense really went, you know what that Kirk Cousins doesn't deal well with? Pressure. So they blitzed the shit out of it. Nearly 50% of their snaps were blitzes by the Philly defense, and it worked like shit. Three interceptions, two sacks, four tackles for a loss, less than 300 yards allowed with... Big play slay basically shutting down Jefferson, uh, 6 for 48 for Jefferson on 12 targets. That's pretty impressive given what he did to the Green Bay defense a week ago. On the other side, Jalen Hurts continues to put together his breakout campaign. 333 yards, a touchdown interception, and then 57 and two touchdowns, including a very impressive rush in the second half here. He's just a really good dual threat. Is he the best passer of the ball? No, but with the skills that he has when he is, uh, when he's not injured, he's a genuine weapon. And with the weapons he has arrayed around him, in terms of the running game and the passing game, it's just, and a good offensive line, it's just a really solid unit, and he looks like a really good orchestrator, point guard type quarterback to make that thing sing. So, Philly, definitely a factor going forward, someone to keep an eye on. And finally, Tennessee at Buffalo, 7 to 41. There was a fourth down TD by Josh Allen um, at the end of the first half when uh, they were at the basically at the goal line and that basically put this game to an end to the contest. I think it was 7-10 to 10 at that point. 17-7, game over and then there was just a spectacular third quarter collapse by Tennessee. They had a special team fumble, they had an interception, they had a pick six and the game was over. for Tannehill. Josh Allen went off and the game was over. But look, Allen was on, four touchdowns, three of those to Diggs. They, they left Diggs on an island. I'm not sure what they were thinking but they did it and it didn't work. Tannehill looked terrible, Henry looked terrible, and the Buffalo defense looked dominant for the second week in a row. This Buffalo team looks like a truly unstoppable force right now, and Tennessee just looked like a spent force. So overall, very opposite directions for two teams who were at the top of the AFC last year. And with that, I think that's the end of this week's Dump Off. Talk to you next week. Okay, so on to next week's games. Thursday night football with Pittsburgh at Cleveland. Obviously the question is, can't either of these offenses do anything? This is obviously a very strong Pittsburgh defense. So, 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 so Cleveland are down Jadavian Clowney for this. From what I understand, Miles Garrett is not practicing an injury as well, so they might have literally no pass rush. God, this is such a terrible Thursday night football. AFC North football, traditional run the ball. It'll probably be raining, drowning the place out. Like tough game to watch. It's not one to bother staying up for. I don't think it's one for for watching the highlights of. I think if we're picking Cleveland, I would say the reason is, is that both these teams probably want to run the ball right now, but Cleveland are the only team who can run the ball right now. And the defences, yes, have both shown solid moments, but Pittsburgh's defence without TJ Watt just looked like a lesser unit last week, and I don't think we can trust it to do enough here to save the Mitch Titties experience. If Pickett comes in, maybe I'd change my pick. That's the thing, right like, now, if Pickett Mitch was Titties. in there, I think I would swap to Pittsburgh, because I don't trust the Cleveland offence at all, really. This is like a 13-14 to 14 type game. All it should be like 10-9. I'll go over Cleveland on the balance of, I could see them getting their run game going, pulling it out, but this is just not a, yeah, not a fun one. We're, were you just picking for Chubb, Sean? Or yeah, it's reason? it's trust. I don't trust, obviously, Mitch Titties. The only good part of either of these two teams is the Cleveland running game, and uh, it'll probably be enough. But yeah, it'll be it'll be one of those AFC North games from, from last year where it's just a grind fest and there's a couple of field goals and it ends up being 
ten nine or eleven ten or something stupid like that. Okay, early games on Sunday. Ronan, Houston at Chicago. I've gone Chicago. You boys have gone Houston. Like, you don't want to dismiss a game out of hand in, like, week three, but uh, this is objectively a terrible game where both these teams are terrible and not exciting to watch, especially on offense. I'm giving it to Houston because, like, their defense has something interesting going on. And I think, you know, if they get Damian Pierce involved more, and I think Davis Mills has flashed at least somewhat, and um, that they can get it over a Chicago outfit where the offense just looked completely lost. But look, if Chicago can grind it out with David Montgomery and Justin Fields gets a few explosive plays and busts like they had in week one, they definitely have a shot, but both these teams are bad, and this game will probably be very bad. Well, that's the thing. I'm just basically going Chicago have slight upside because they can have the occasional splash play, and they're at home. So meh. Philadelphia are traveling to Washington, who are ready to take command. Probably not this game. We've all gone for Philly here. So the question is, I suppose, you said earlier Wentz was non-existent in the first half and then was quite good in the second half, which Wentz shows up here. This is obviously, look, the Philly guys are going to want to continue to build on a strong start this feels like one that they should win but it is it's that division when they play in division they just kind of it's, it can all get a bit messy but like yeah like baby Wentz shows up big in this spot and plays well but like he's just he's not, I don't think even when he plays what like halfway decent last week I don't think he's a good quarterback and I think we saw what this Philadelphia defense can do against quarterbacks who will make mistakes and he feel, feels like this is going to end up quite one-sided in Philly's favor in my head like I think wide receivers at least like Carson Wentz because he's they got some of the best spectacular catch wide receivers in the league in McLaurin and Jahan Dotson and they're mm. having to make a lot of spectacular catches <laughs> the Carson Wentz slightly inaccurate radar but I like, look I'm not going to dismiss Washington's chances here I think their offense has shown some genuine explosiveness that I think has to get people on notice and I think you know they have those three wide receivers uh, in Samuel uh, McLaurin and Dotson and that just generally just looks really exciting and, and obviously Wentz is not afraid to throw it out there Antonio Gibson looks reignited um, after getting his job back after Brian Robinson got shot so and the offensive line it's obviously down Chase Rulier but doesn't seem to be turned into a complete disaster like you have in say Cincinnati obviously a tougher test against Philly here but it hasn't looked okay so far so they have a chance in terms of their offense but their defense as I said the dump off is just horrible and they're obviously they, they're, they're missing a bunch of players at the moment so that's definitely an issue but it's just horrible and this Philly has been eating up defences for breakfast and I think this good game could be very much like week one for Philly where there's a lot of points either way but it could also be a blowout for Philly but I think Philly have shown enough now that against these teams that are in the bottom mid to bottom half of the league they just have too much firepower for them and they'll get the job done here but you know Washington have been more interesting than I have any right to be, in my opinion. So I, I don't know what Washington you've been watching, Ron, because the Washington I've been watching is they're not good. Uh, and I can't see them posing much of a challenge to this Eagles team. Which, they flash. Even though I think they are overhyped, I still think they are pretty decent. Uh, and I noticed the Eagles are going to make the Super Bowl hype has already started, <laughs> which is ridiculous. It's week two. Philly Buffalo. Oh. It's, 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 it's already happened. Oh, Philly. The end of days. Yeah, the end of days Super Bowl. Yeah, where America burns down in the afternoon. Oh, my God. Uh, so I was just thinking, like, I would I would eat the living cheddar, like, a Philly Buffalo steak sandwich. That would be amazing. Like, like that would be... That, that would be such a chaotic Super Bowl it will literally become like a hell in a cell type setup for the Super Bowl where they have to mm. put the field in a in a cell to keep the fans out yeah next up we have New Orleans at Carolina so yeah the, the question of which one can lead an offense is it Baker Mayfield or is it Jameis Winston probably both. neither and maybe this will be a very defensive game they're both former number one overall picks they must be good right Sean <laughs> yeah 
the ultimate battle. Yeah, obviously important game in terms of the NFC South, especially with the Bucks not looking so great. Both these teams might have minor hopes of maybe of maybe going on a run and, and topping their division. Obviously, neither side has really lit the touch paper in the first two weeks. The Saints blew, or the the, the Saints were way behind the Falcons and had to rely on a comeback to come back, and the, and the the Panthers just, I mean, it just hasn't gotten going. As I've talked about, the the Saints defensively look pretty solid, but offensively not getting going. Winston, I mean, if he keeps the shackles on, he's fine, but every time he seems to try, take a chance, it's an automatic interception. You'd be worried about that. On the other side, Baker does not seem to be an upgrade for the Panthers in terms of QB. They look basically where they were last season. They look like a team heading to 6-11 and 11 or 5-12. and 12. They just look very uninspiring. They might get in a couple of close games. They're not going to win. And ultimately, in terms of picking between these two teams, it's just that the Saints' defense has looked probably the best of any of the units out there so far, whereas the Panthers are a whole pile of mess. So you got to give the edge to the Saints based on the fact that their defense at least looks competent. Carolina really needs to start getting Christian McCaffrey going a little bit more. They were using a lot of him in, like, fake protection looks, and then he was just never getting thrown out. It was very unusual. Ronan's pick of the week is up next, and uh, who hot tamale, it's a rough one. Buffalo at Miami, the hype train is about to get crash straight into everyone's Super Bowl favourites, but there are some out there who would say that Buffalo will have, you know, it's more a reflection of the quality of the opposition to date. Are Miami going to be able to, to, to fix that, Ronan, or what do you think? There are no doubts. There's just two hype trains on direct collision course, and it's about who can stay on the tracks while the other flies off into the distance in flames. Like, this is going to be... A lot of hot takes are going to go up and look really shit a week from now because there are going to be people on both sides of this uh, fence. I think, obviously, Buffalo have to be the favourite. That's the uh, the hype train with more pedigree. Obviously, a big Super Bowl favourite for, for most people before the season. And, obviously, they're built on things that we have seen work for multiple seasons at this point. Josh Allen is a amazing he obviously runs like cam newton he's now passing like tom brady he's got the arm strength of matt stafford busy there's no window small enough that josh allen can't force it in there if he has to and it's just the complete quarterback looks like josh allen if he didn't live at the same time as patrick mahomes and and justin herbert he would be uh, elevated to godhood like they would make a statue made of tables and they would call it josh allen and we would all be worshiping it right now but like look we live in a golden age of quarterback play so uh there are other people of equal consideration for now that's working really well josh allen stefan diggs looks well when especially when he's like left in single coverage like by tennessee the run game it's solid, it's it's there, and the offensive line looks solid. And yeah, it just looks like the offense looks unstoppable right now. And the defense has taken a major step up in the last couple of years where it looked kind of so-so under McDermott. But McDermott seems to have got the pieces that he wants together. It's got the veteran pieces he likes. Obviously, Von Miller's made an impact since he's come on. And some young players are coming through that are really making an impact for this defense. And if that defense lives up to what it's shown in the first few weeks, then this could truly be an unstoppable Super Bowl juggernaut. But of course, on the other side, we just saw Miami pull off a miracle by overturning a 21 point deficit in the fourth quarter so you know people love miracles uh, they are inspired by fungi yeah and <laughs> and to and on you know he's raised that team from the dead the, the new jesus i believe he is a bit of a, a christian himself so you know now that they have risen and had their moment of victory now it's uh, all winning from here um until he gets sends to heaven by winning that super bowl um that they all want in miami again it, you know if they keep uh, to, to, to not be too obvious, uh, keep running up that hill, yardage toll, uh, K-Push shout out, then they can, that works. 
Tyreek Hill is one of the most devastating offensive weapons in the NFL. He gets open, it feels like, at will. We saw that other teams, uh, like when he was at the Chiefs, can adjust, and, but it takes a lot of work and you have to do a lot of work to scheme him out. Uh, but if you scheme him out and do too much, Jalen Waddle's on the other side and he's, if not quite as good as Hill, he certainly looks like he has the pieces to be a Hill-type like weapon going forward. And we even saw guys like Mike Kosicki get involved last week as kind of the third option. Um, so it's not a, it's not just two guys, but those two guys are really hard to stop. Really big challenge for this Buffalo defense if they can do that. As for the two and on uh, collective, yes, plenty of plenty of evidence. Depending if you're in the two haters or two lovers categories, but you know, last week certainly has to be a step of promise and a promise that this guy can get it done and get it into the hand of his playmaker because he doesn't have to win the game for them. He just has to get guys who can win the game the ball efficiently, quickly, and on time, and be a good enough deep passer to take advantage of the huge holes that Hill has been able to take advantage of. Remember, Buffalo's defensive backfield is quite shallow right now. They still don't have Trey White. They obviously lost another defensive back, uh, Dane Jackson. Uh, he, I assume he's not going to play in this game, considering the injury he had. Um, so they are weak back there, so there is holes that could be taken care of if the defensive line doesn't make immediate pressure on Tua. So hype for both these teams. Pedigree hype versus new hype. Let's see who wins, but it should be an exciting game either way, and hopefully lots of points and fireworks. Now from a exciting game to a very much not exciting game, the Vegas Raiders at the Tennessee Titans. My God. Again, like I said, it's week three. It's rare you get already of games that just feel completely irrelevant. Can either team lean on their offensive strength can they get Henry going in the backfield will they be able to just feed Devante Adams enough this is a game where I would imagine Vegas going to win I think we've all got Vegas going across the board on this one Tennessee have just looked putrid this year hopefully they can get the run going because this is not exactly a powerhouse off uh, defense for for Las Vegas but the Tennessee defense is not particularly strong for, for, for all the crap I give the Raiders they are and a like probably a slightly like at least an above average offense in terms of weaponry and I, I it's hard to see them not winning but I suppose if Tennessee right the ship and they get the run game going they 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 could take this but given the form of these teams up till now I I could well see the Vegas get away ahead forget to finish how to close out a game and Tennessee then suddenly get to drive their way back into it again we're all gone for Vegas this is not going to be a very exciting game unless both of these teams. This was a rallying point game for both of them, right? So maybe that will give them the kick up the arse, but not a, not a good one. The next game is my pick of the week, Detroit at Minnesota. This is very much, if you ask me preseason, what I'd be picking for a pick of the week. I wouldn't have guessed it would be this one. The question is obviously, are either of these teams really an NFC North challenger? Which one is going to be able to pull it off? Is this going to be a high-scoring game? Detroit have, as we mentioned there, scored 35 in their last three regular season games. They're looking good. They've got a great O-line. They've got a good run game. They've got Amon Ra. They've got... Yeah, like there's just a lot going on with them. Their defense is still pretty shocking, to be honest, which is why this should be an interesting high-scoring game because Minnesota have been showing an improved offense. They shit the bed last week. You know, Detroit have a mixed bag to poor bag on defense, so Minnesota should be able to get things moving again. They do have excellent wide receivers and just Jefferson. They do have a good run game with Cook. Like it is, it should be a spot where they should be able to move the ball. There's a lot, just good, good, good fights normally between these teams, even whenever both of them are not playing fantastically. So it should make for an entertaining game. And this is a nice kind of okay, who's relevant to the discussion moving forward because it's these kind of in division games that you need to pick up to be able to be relevant to the business end of the season. 
it, it could be that I hate Minnesota because I do hate Minnesota. And it amazes me that Sean picked them because he actively dislikes them probably more than I do. And maybe it's just a little bit that I really like Dan Cameron and I like these Detroit Lions and I like them biting ankles and fighting hard. How he scouted Minnesota, he said to the media this week, he watched the Monday Night Football game and he got hammered drunk, woke up the following morning, couldn't read most of his notes and started watching the game again. Like, I just I just want Detroit to win here. I'm, I'm with you, Connor. I love Detroit. I love watching this team. They've got great spirit. They're really fighting. They're, they're so much fun to watch. The offense looks super exciting. I mean, Amon Ra is just, he is the, the next superstar. The defense looks a bit meh, but they do have some explosiveness. Aiden Hutchinson, I think, had three sacks in that last game. Yeah, that was so good. I love them, but they're not a playoff team, and they're not, therefore, going to beat the Vikings, because the Vikings are... The Vikings are the fucking Dalton line of teams, right? That they are, the, you have to be this good to beat them. And the Lions are just, the Vikings are more polished on both sides of the ball. Their, their offense is probably a little bit more reliable. Their defense is more consistent. I think that's just going to be enough. And I hate saying that because I want to be in, I want to be in a world where everyone thinks the Lions are going to win a game. But I just, the rational part of me is like, they, they're not going to win, Sean, no matter how much you may want them to. So that's why I picked the Vikings. And I hate myself for it. And I really hope I'm wrong. There's, I'm looking through it now. I'm just wondering, because we reckon they'll finish around nine wins as they always do. I'm not sure if they play eight playoff teams. So maybe they have to lose other games <laughs> this year round. <laughs> so they play the Packers twice. Like Saints aren't doing it. Cardinals aren't doing it. Maybe the Dolphins. They play the Bills. Cowboys? Yeah, like there's a lot of there's a lot of teams they play who are not like they're not the like Giants aren't in the division, probably Colts. Like well, well one of those AFC East ones can't do. So like yeah. I don't know, this might be this might be the one that kind of, you know, shows that they also can't get above a certain level. Okay, next up in the mix we have Oh wow, Sean. Good one for you. Cincinnati trying to bounce back and if you're looking for one to bounce back at, you'd normally say you'd want the Jets, but they showed a little something last week. Would uh, would that get them worried at all? They are missing some of that pass rush. It's we talked last week about the Bengals having a, a get right game against the Cowboys and then they lost one and this one is definitely kind of a last chance loon get right game. They have to win this game. They have to get it to work. They have to get their offense clicking. They need their O line to start working because if you can't beat the New York Jets, I I really if they are zero and three at the end of this weekend, it's it's goodbye Bengals for the season. I think you can write them off because these are the games you absolutely have to win because the Jets are. I mean, they've got great spirit and obviously them beating the Browns was a wonderful moment for the Jets fans and, and to watch it on Red Zone was, was great fun. But they're just not a very good team. Their defense is pretty bad and I would expect the, the Burrow, Chase, Mixon, that whole... I think I, I think they light them up on the offensive side. And then it's just like, can Joe Flacco keep pace with Joe Burrow, which is just not going to happen? You have to... The Bengals have to win this game. Like on a moral level, on a, on a, like a, a, a philosophical, like can they, you know, even have a decent season level because if they don't win this game then the questions really have to start to be asked because if the Bengals aren't better than the Jets then they're not better than an awful lot of teams just like also the Jets nice to see them get something nice for a change <laughs> they've had it pretty tough as well Baltimore New England uh, we've gone for Baltimore across the board was obviously a question of can Bill cook up a scheme to deal with Lamar and can it's been a fairly underwhelming big Mac attack ramp up and start to show us a little bit more. Yeah, like Baltimore feel like they shouldn't have let that last game slip out of their hands. New England back to back to 500 again after what was a very, like it, it felt like a very, how Bill Belichick would draw up to have a win against Pittsburgh of like, just to kind of like slowly slog and game of attrition them down. 
this is a Baltimore team that doesn't have as good a defense, so maybe they'll get a little bit more going on it. But like, there's a world of difference in the amount of offensive firepower that Baltimore brings versus you know taking on Mitch Trubisky and the and the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a question of talent level. The, the Ravens, I mean, you, you always got to credit Bill Belichick. The last two seasons, he's had a really untalented team, probably the worst team in the league talent-wise in 2020, and they got seven wins. A, a very mad team last year, and they ended up getting 10 wins and a playoff run. He pulls them out of the hat, but the, the talent differential here, I think, is just too great. I mean, the, the Ravens are really good. You can memory hole, as far as I'm concerned, the last quarter against the Dolphins. It was a, it was a freak. It probably won't happen again. Otherwise, the Ravens look really good. Lamar looks like he could be an MVP category. They Generally, their defense is good, even though it kind of shit the bed a little bit against the Dolphins at the end. I I mean, I know Belichick two years ago did kind of was one of the first coaches to work out the how do you scheme Lamar and trap him. And and that was kind of the start of the Ravens' downfall two seasons ago. But the team has evolved a little bit since then. And I just don't think this pass team is a lot going for it. Especially offensively, I mean, I just don't know. Even if they clamp down the Ravens and hold them to, say, 25, 27 points, I just don't see how the Pats can score that many points. So it's just, if even if everything goes right for the Pats, it's still difficult to actually see them winning the game. They might be able to keep it close, but it's difficult to see how they would actually win a game like a 14-10 or, or a 17-14 kind of game. I just can't see how, the, how they can hold the Ravens to that kind of score. I suppose it's the thing is like you want to you want to see them be a bit more competitive. If you want to if 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 you want to believe that they're going to be you know that in that wild card conversation, it just doesn't feel like they've been there. Pats are not a playoff team this year. It'll take all of the Bill Belichick magic to make this uh, a competitive game for New England. I think Baltimore are favorites for a good reason. But I think if you're a connoisseur of the game, these are both two of the best coaches in the league. So I imagine you'll see some uh, creative stuff done to uh, try and make this into a contest. Uh, next up, Kansas City and Indianapolis. Kansas City across the board here for us. Indianapolis have looked absolutely atrocious. As I said, Mahomes has looked good, even when playing some of the best defense that we think we've seen. So I would imagine they're going to eat here. Uh, what I'm amazed is I just had a quick look to see what the bookies thought of this one. Apparently, the points on this is six and a half. I don't know how anyone is not taking Kansas City at six and a half points. But yeah, I could be wrong. These things are happening, and it's only been two weeks, and maybe Indianapolis really turning around. But like, I can see Pat Mahomes taking the fourth quarter off, and let's see in Chad Henney in here. Like, I, I don't see any chance for Indianapolis. Rams at Arizona, which Arizona exists? Is it the one that was able to light it up in the second half against the the Raiders, or is it what we saw the other three quarter, three three halves that they've played? The Rams. Well, you could say the same about the Rams. Like the Rams have well, been. Oh, you see, do you know what I'd say about the Rams? I'd say the Rams are looking shite. I don't. <laughs> Okay, so they're they're one and one. They're one and one because they beat an Atlanta team that most people were expecting to win two fucking games this year. Like they haven't beaten anyone of quality, and they were home for both of those games. Like it doesn't feel like this is a great Rams team at all at the moment. Now they'll hopefully round into form, but like this this feels like a, a fight between two also Rams at the moment until one of them shows me something different. There is an argument to say the Rams haven't turned up, but they they always kind of have a little bit of slow start. I mean, last season they weren't. They took a little while to get going. I mean, the Cardinals are a bit of a bogey team for the Rams in recent years as well. They tend to not be able to contain the Murray Mayhem all that well. I don't know. It could be a chaotic game, but the Rams are the better team on paper. Yeah. And they have the better coach. So if this game is played on paper, the Rams win every time. But, I mean... No Arizona game is played on paper is the problem. Yeah. I've, I've, I've just now realized that it's going to be hilarious of like Aaron Donald chasing around Kyler Murray. So actually it might be worth it just for those clips. 
just roll your D20s and see what happens. But I suppose we trust the Rams because they won a Super Bowl. Atlanta at Seattle, Ronan. We've gone for Atlanta across the board. Is that because of Seattle or is that because Atlanta kind of surprised a little bit last week? Yeah, like I think Atlanta have shown some interesting things in offense. Like it's, as I said, a very college level offense, a lot of RPO. A lot of quick uh, passes to Cardinal Patterson. Drake London's are good. Maybe you see a bit more Kyle Pitts here. On the other hand, Seattle, they're running one of the most boring offenses in the league. Unless they can get the run game going, they basically have no offensive production. And while Atlanta's defense isn't great, they do have a bit of defensive line talent with Grady Jarrett there. So, yeah, I think Atlanta, at least they have something exciting to them, whereas Seattle, outside that first half against Denver, have just been dead, dead on arrival for too long now. And until they show something that they're willing to get Tyler Lockett and... Uh, DK involved in those deep passes again. It's just very hard to watch right now. Next up is Sean's pick of the week, Green Bay at Tampa Bay. Me and Fitz have gone for Green Bay. Sean is picking Tom Terrific and Tampa Bay to go. Both of these guys have started slow, but we're all expecting them to be in at the tail ends. What's got you siding with Tom? Yeah, this is a real kind of step-up game for both these teams. Obviously, the the slow start, the Packers, you can't really put too much into beating the Bears. I mean, I mean, it's not something that you can really put on the CV. They look pretty pretty poor against the Vikings, so they haven't really had a good game this season. But then you can say the same thing about the Bucks that they, they beat the Cowboys without ever really getting, getting out of third gear. And they, like, we talked about the Saints game and how bit of a slop fest that was. And obviously, there's some problems, I think, in, in terms of the, the offense there. I mean, ultimately, I picked them because I, I just don't trust this Packers team. I think they both sides are very good defenses. Yeah, I've just, I haven't seen it yet from Rodgers. That performance against the Vikings is very worrying. I mean, he does have off games, but it's just, he does have to care to actually play well, and sometimes he doesn't. And the, the Bucks have beaten the Packers a few times recently, and it, they have found a way to, to stifle them. The Packers, it's all run, it's a lot of the run game they're relying on, and obviously the Bucks have the best run, probably the best run game in the league, or at least top three so they could if they stifle that and then it relies on Rogers throwing to all these receivers he doesn't trust then it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one to see ultimately I I mean I can see it going either way but I just I just have the feeling the books will have a plan of how to win this game and they will they will execute it whereas I just think the Packers are relying on Aaron Rodgers to pull him out of it and I don't haven't seen that from him yet the season that he's capable of that my problem is that, like, I think I've seen more from the Green Bay offense last week than I have out of any unit on Tampa Bay so it's far this season. Bears. I can't put any yeah, but like, like, like you, happens against the Chicago Bears. But like, you, like, you put up you put up three points against the the Saints led by James Winston. Like, he only broke the deadlock when he threw three interceptions. Like, I, I, at the moment, again, neither of these teams are particularly filling me with. Uh, <laughs> you, you, with you know what this actually is, though. It's the family troubles, Bo. Mm, that's both, true. Both, <laughs> both quarterbacks are have interesting family times at the moment, and it mm. it may be having an effect on the on their respective uh, performance. <laughs> uh, and of course, it'll be the well, it's also the wide receiverless bowl because obviously they'll be missing their best wide receivers most likely. Cole Beasley signed for the books. So I think I saw that. Well, that'll solve everything. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> it's like finally my white guy slot receiver. My final exactly. Piece of my Brady's like team. finally got my uh, my Julian Edelman back. Yeah. Mm. But, why didn't you just more... get actual Julian Edelman back then? Because <laughs> his knees are completely fucked. Buy him some new knees. He's rich enough. Like I think the big thing for me is this is going to be much more of a dogfight than it would we would have expected like before the season. This is going to be both of them finding ways to win, and these are both guys we we know are great quarterbacks. So I suppose you know I, I get picking Tampa Bay because you know Tom Brady wins when he shouldn't win, but I just think Green Bay have a few more 
backup things that they can rely on if if you know you can't rely on the quarterback to get things over the running game works the defense is better well both defenses are good so i'm imagining it for green bay but this is going to be a dogfight yeah next up jacksonville at the chargers you go for the chargers across the board sean obviously herbert has a bit of an injury coming into this trevor lawrence looks a little bit better last week but still not phenomenal it was really jacksonville's defense that were putting the clamps on is it out of the question that Jacksonville's defense shows up here? I mean, absolutely not. We've seen the Chargers look really impressive for two two halves out of four so far. It's eminently possible the Chargers start off strong and then fade as the game goes on and the Jags get a little bit of momentum going and things get interesting in terms of... I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if anyone's actually in the stand because I don't know if any, there are how many combined Chargers and Jags fans there actually are. Um, <laughs> I mean, the Chargers are the better team on both sides and they look really good and that should be enough but I mean the Jags I mean I've been ta- hyping them up a little bit they're getting better defensively they look strong Lawrence is, is starting to come into himself he hasn't had that blowout like five touchdown game yet but the last week was, was definitely a much better kind of performance that he usually puts out and if he can get that as an average then he's going to start to, to fill to fulfill the hype a little bit. So I could certainly see this being an interesting game, but I think the Chargers just have too much. Even with Herbert a little bit injured, if he plays, he, he can play hurt. We've, we've seen him do it. So, I mean, I think I, the Chargers should have enough here, but the Chargers could easily charge. Uh, San Francisco at Denver. I've gone for Denver. You guys have gone for San Francisco. Jimmy G is back at the wheel. Going to fight Russ, who I suppose they know each other fairly well. Yeah, I don't know. Like... San Francisco are probably a little bit more predictable and a bit more like dependable, but minus some of the upside now. Denver are at home. Like you'd hope that Russell would know a bit about playing them, given he's been playing them for years and years and years. Yeah, like I'm, I'm mostly picking Denver on the basis of their home. I don't expect a wild pile out of either one of these teams. And I think at some point, Russell Wilson has to have a halfway decent game for them because, like, it's too much money. It's too much money they've given him for him to not do anything. And this is not a particularly exciting San Francisco team. Denver have a shot. They just need to sort their fucking shit out. They've been embarrassing in the first two weeks. I think, like, one in five of their snaps on uh, on total has been a flag. It's just awful. Oh, yeah. Awful coaching. Awful, awful control from the offense, from the special teams, from the defense. If they just sort their shit out, they're a talented team. And I guess a San Francisco team that obviously is, is talented themselves, they have a shot, especially at mile high. And we know that it has an effect with the, you know, the less oxygen and stuff like that. So I think Denver have a shot, but they need to sort their shit out. And until they give me a performance where they sort their shit out, I have to keep picking against them. Um, yeah. So I'm going to give San Francisco a team that I can trust, that I know what they're doing, especially with Jimmy G back at the wheel, and give them an advantage here. But yeah, Denver, just sort your shit out. No, I mean, you you trust the Niners. Definitely the, the way the Broncos have been playing his first two weeks, you, you'd really start to question the quality of the coaching versus at least the one thing the Niners have, even if they don't have any players on the field, is they have a really good coach and that coach will find a way to get their team to perform well. It's a part of the season where you start to talk about trust and which teams you trust, and I absolutely do not trust the Broncos, whereas I do trust the Niners, even if even with Jimmy G, I do trust them. I don't trust either of these teams, and I'm four games behind in the picks already, so uh, like, thought this is a good lots, one. There's lots of room for improvement. Put your kick returner out there during special teams plays. Learn how to count down to zero. Like, yeah. lots of room for improvement there. So, you know, start simple, 
and maybe we can build something here, right? Yeah. Then finally, Monday Night Football, the one you've all been waiting for, the clash of the Dallas Cowboys taking on the New York Giants in what is probably one of the better ones of these matchups than there has been in a couple of years as both are doing halfway all right. New York Giants have somehow ground their way to 2-0. and As we said, Cooper Rush actually didn't do too badly for them last week for Dallas, so like... This is Dallas traveling across the country to the Giants, which I'm just making be the difference here. Also, as I mentioned, I think on a different thing that Saquon is having a bit more of a of a year than Elliott so far. So I'm going to edge it to the Giants, but I can equally see this going Dallas's way if they can get the play going right. It's a close, if not exactly awe-inspiring game that's going to come out of this that will hopefully be quite run-heavy, I would imagine. I'm going to edge the Cowboys because if you want to talk about teams you don't, I don't <laughs> trust, the Giants, I, I have to see it. I mean, come on. that they've, they've won two pretty crappy games, and at least the Cowboys have a good defense, and Micah Parsons looks like he's going to be clearly the best player in the field. So if he gets going, then, you know, the Cowboys could grind this one out. Yeah, no, that makes that makes sense. To be honest, yeah, like I said, I don't really trust either of these lots. So uh, I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week. Any plans for the weekend yourselves, boys? Uh, I don't think so. Quiet enough. It's the the Nations League in the, the soccer, so I won't be watching much of it. The the evenings are closing in and the, the heating is on and it's, yeah, autumn is kicking in. And uh, yeah, just kind of uh, enjoy the transition. I'm much more of an autumn fan than I am a summer fan. Very good. What about yourself, Fitz? I have some work drinks uh, this weekend, so hang out with people at work. I got the email today about the Christmas party planning, so, you know, the end of the year is coming around. Very good, yeah. I'm off up to see the folks up in Donegal, and yeah, it's pretty much it for me. It is actually, it's, it's creeping in now. You kind of forget we're at, the, we're at the tail end of September already, and sure, it's only, what, six or seven weeks before we're heading off to off to Munich to try and catch the, the match in Germany. That'll be good fun if we can get our hands on some tickets in particular uh, anyone, anyone out there who's got their hands on some tickets and wants to donate them to get our expert analysis yeah more, more than happy to take them off your hands there. They're, uh, they're on the go but I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week so uh, I suppose bye from myself bye from Fitz bye, bye from Sean bye. this is all four quarters thanks for listening we'll chat to you